Welcome to another episode of Unpacking Bexley, a podcast focused on exploring and analyzing the many different aspects of life and culture here in the city of Bexley. I'm Larry D. Atley Ellison, and I am here via the Bexley DEI and Bexley Pride, and I'm here today with Spencer Cahoon, also here with Bexley DEI and a friendly Bexley neighbor. I'm Kerouac Smith, not involved in many organizations, but a friendly Bexley neighbor. Very friendly, I would say. <laughs> Some might say two. Also joining us uh, remotely, we have Stacy Grossman today. And today, we're going to take a slightly different approach as we reach the end of our year. We're going to be talking about some different issues that we haven't had a chance to cover. So we're going to be going sort of rapid fire, round robin style, a couple issues that stood out to everyone over the course of the year. These could be things that happened previously or things that are going on right now, but that we want to give a little bit of time and attention to to help people know about it and uh, just raise awareness of what's going on in our community. All right, with that, Larry, what stands out to you? Yeah, well, thanks, Spencer. You know, I um, always have a focus on DEI, and I'm really interested in trying to figure out what the city is doing in terms of advancing DEI in any space, whatever that may happen to look like. And so I went back through the year and tried to figure out what all we've been involved in as a city, and uh, I put together a little list. Oh, great. Actually, I know you saw it. It doesn't look very little, but I promise we'll, <laughs> that's go, a, we'll that's, go through it fast. That's a lot of list. <laughs> We've got confidence in you, though, Larry. All right. So uh, going all the way back to January, a whole 11 months ago, Bexley City Schools did a, a great presentation on nurturing black girlhood, supporting the needs of black girls in today's schools, which hmm. I thought was really interesting. Wanted to give a shout out in January, Brian Drury became executive director for the Bexley Area Chamber of Commerce. Ah, uh, yes. And speaking of a friendly Bexley neighbor, Brian is a great resource and uh, happy for his uh, appointment to that position. Absolutely. And if you ever need a connection, Brian kind of knows everybody and one of his great strengths is as a connector. So if you are looking for a resource or a connection or an idea, he's a great person to talk to. Absolutely. We also had Martin Luther King Day in January as well, and there was a great learning opportunity at Capital University. February was Black History Month. That, unfortunately, was uh, the month where we had racist imagery shown during the middle school morning announcements. Mm, I remember that. Yeah, and that eventually led to a, a group of parents focused on eliminating racism in Bexley City Schools. They formed a group and uh, have been working since then to work with the school district and trying to figure out ways to help eliminate such incidents from happening. Also, Bexley City Schools had a virtual information and networking event. The uh, point of that is to invite educators to learn a little bit about Bexley City Schools and to network, and uh, that's really in an effort to increase diversity or diverse hiring within Bexley City School staff. So that's a great event. And uh, let's see, March, we had the Bexley Minority Parent Alliance Art Auction, which was at the Bexley Library and was uh, a funding source or an opportunity to raise money for the Circle of Excellence scholarships. And they do that Circle of Excellence every year and give out scholarships to a lot of our students. Which is great. Students yeah. always need money for school. Absolutely. And then we had our Bexley State of Community Address, which I believe was the first time we heard about one Bexley. Thank which you, right. we've talked about on here. We have, we have indeed. Yes. Uh, moving into April, we had our Bexley DEI and uh, BMPA cherry tree planting at Capital University. And we also planted another one at a local home here in Bexley. Mm -hmm. And Spencer, I know you were there because I saw the saw a picture of you there with a <laughs> shovel. Was. Great weather. Well, you know, I don't mind pitching in when I can. <laughs> yes. And then uh, speaking of the Circle of Excellence, that was held in April at the school. It does recognize graduating 5th, 8th, and 12th graders. They do scholarships, and this year I think they awarded over $6,000 worth of scholarships. And then after the event, they host a career fair, which is really awesome for our mm -hmm. students, our minority students. And then um, we also celebrated Earth and Arbor Day celebrations at Snyder Park. That Snyder mm -hmm. Park has a lot uh, of opportunities throughout the year for events, I've noticed. It does. It's a beautiful space if you haven't been out there. If your kids are getting bored of the same parks you go to normally or the same school playgrounds, there is another playground at Snyder Park, and you should check it out. Yes, absolutely. And a dog park. That's true. The only dog park. Right. 
Yes, and then in May we have our Asian and Pacific Islander Heritage Festival, which is a great time, and I know planning is underway for that event in 2024. We had our Eliminating Racism and Bexley School Community Meeting number two that month, and then one Bexley began its planning sessions in May as well. So mm, okay. I know that is still underway in terms of planning, and we're looking forward to seeing more good things come from that event in 2024. But May was when I think those planning sessions really started, and they started to involve the community in that. Mm-hmm. June, um, oh, do you know what happened in June? Juneteenth. Yeah, that, that did happen in June, but also <laughs> the Unpacking Bexley podcast was born. Oh, oh we yeah, should, should have known that, that first. One. Yeah, <laughs> you should have known that. Yes. So Unpacking Bexley was born, and I have heard that there's a lot of outpouring of community feedback on how appreciative people have been to this podcast in terms of finding out what's going on in Bexley and learning things, especially around our election candidate series that we did. Yes. So we're glad people appreciated that. Next time there's candidates going up or something, we'll be back. Absolutely. Yeah. And, and I'm sure we'd be happy to take uh, suggestions for topics as well. 100%. Absolutely. Tell us what you would like to hear about. But yes, Juneteenth was a celebration of freedom, food, and friendship. It was originally scheduled to be at Jeffrey Park, but I think weather forced it to be moved to the Bexley Public Library. And it was a massive event. It was like an overflow audience Super well attended. <laughs> Too well, yeah. I would say. I was here. And then, um, of course, in, in June, also earlier in the year, we had lost the Bexley City School District's DEI coordinator and Marsalis mm. Braxton. So in June, we welcomed our new DEI leader, Dr. Stephen Lewis. So he came to us in June, which we have been uh, meeting with him as well and working on our continued efforts of DEI within the schools. July... The only interesting thing I have a note in July is, besides the 4th of July parade, of course, is the splash pad opened up in Schneider Park. Ah, yes. So that's one more interesting facet of Schneider Park. Mm-hmm. August, we had our Bexley uh, National Night Out, which was an effort coordinated by the Bexley PD and gave them an opportunity to showcase and talk to the community about safety and engage the community, which was a really great opportunity for them to do so. And this is the first year they did that event with our new chief, and he managed to wrangle in a um, state highway patrol helicopter, and the kids just went wild over that helicopter landing there at Commonwealth Park. It was a big hit. It was it was really cool. Yeah, I was there for that, and that was uh, that was pretty spectacular. BMPA, uh, Bexley Minority Parent Alliance, had their back-to-school picnic. And then, of course, uh, the Bexley City Schools, that's back-to-school month for Mm. Bexley City Schools for our students. They started a free breakfast pilot program, which I think is a great opportunity, especially for some of our socioeconomically disadvantaged students as well. Absolutely. Um, September had our Bexley Candidate Night. So we talked a little bit about our candidate series here on Unpacking Bexley, but we also participated in the candidate night, which gave an opportunity for candidates to answer questions, tell us about their positions, and it was uh, really well attended, I think, and I think online as well. Yep. Great events, and everyone turned out for it. So all the candidates who were running for a school board and city council and the mayor, even though he was unopposed, everybody came and talked a little bit about what their vision for Bexley was. So that was a great event. Yep. And then uh, September was also Latinx and Hispanic Heritage Month, and we had our festival, which was fantastic. And there was also a really interesting presentation on the Intel plant that's coming just east of us and the impact on Columbus and surrounding areas. That was held at the Bexley Library. So, Mm -hmm. again, just highlighting that because I think that gives us an opportunity to learn a little bit more sort of how other communities are impacting our community or other things going on outside of our Bexley community can impact Bexley as well. Mm-hmm. October, we had the, the one Bexley gathering, which was a casual evening with food company and a chance to connect with community members that you might not otherwise uh, attend. I was not able to make it. I don't know if either one of you were able to make it. Now I was signed up and then I had a kid over in the ER just before that. And we were told we had a contagious disease. So we decided that public events should probably be given the kibosh for a moment. 
I wasn't there, but I don't have a sympathetic excuse at the ready, so I'll have to uh, come back for that one. No worries. But all accounts, from what I've heard, it was a really successful event. There were there was a, quite a big gathering, and I think those types of events where we get diverse community members together to just mingle and, and talk to each other, I think, is, is always a winning opportunity. Yeah. Um, in October, we also had the Taste of Bexley, which is an annual event and um, hosted by our friend Brian Drury from mm-hmm. the um, Bexley Area Chamber of Commerce. And that event I did happen to go to as well. And it uh, had a lot of diverse ownership vendors there that I thought was really interesting. Hmm. So I had their diverse food and was really great opportunity to try nice. lots of different things. And then, of course, we had in November Election Day, and I know we talked, we've talked a lot about election and <laughs> the outcome of the election, and so that was good. And then uh, we also had an- one more follow-up community meeting for the Eliminating Racism in Bexley City Schools. They had an opportunity to report out to the community the things that they've been working on since la- since spring, and uh, I think that was a great opportunity for them to be able to do that as well. Great. Well, it sounds like it's been a busy year in the community. It has been a very busy year, and I think I'm super excited for all of that stuff. The good thing is that most of the things that I covered are annual events. If you missed it in 2023, you may have another opportunity to check it out in 2024. So definitely encourage you to do that. Make sure you're taking advantage of different resources. There are many groups throughout Bexley that you can leverage to find most of this information either our Bexley DEI website or Facebook page, there's the Bexley uh, Minority Parent Alliance, Bexley Pride, DARN, uh, Eliminating Racism in Bexley City Schools. The PTOs are a great resource for things. Absolutely. Especially the diverse learning PTO. And then, of course, the Bexley Library oftentimes amplifies a lot of the things that's going on throughout the community. Mm-hmm. So they're a great resource as well. Yeah, and if you check on the city's main website, they a lot of these events also get on the city's community calendar. So you can see them through the city's website as well, as well as other things that are going on in the city. No shortage of opportunities to know what's going on around here in the city of Bexley. So, Absolutely. All right, Kerouac. So what spoke to you over this last year? Well, I haven't been uh, as busy as most people on this podcast uh, <laughs> in keeping up with the happenings in the city. But I do snoop on the Bexley buzz on Facebook and see what people are getting upset about that's why they call you snoop i was wondering yeah but one thing one thing that has personally affected me and you know when things personally affect me that's when they become important (laughs) yes we we all can understand that makes it more real yeah it's the the changes to drexel avenue which uh, i did not know were coming i assume there was probably a chance to speak up about it and I didn't, so I only have myself to blame. But shortly after moving to Bexley, I realized that Drexel was the uh, quickest, easiest, what I felt safest route from Broad to Maine. Hmm. Okay. Nice wide road, not as narrow as many of the others, no stop signs, most importantly, <laughs> and uh, just a straight shot through. This year, they have changed it. They've put islands in the middle. They have done bump outs. And it's all in service of getting people to slow down on Drexel. Mm-hmm. Now, part of the reason is that that stretch is part of a national highway system and is required federally to be 35 miles per hour hmm. unless you can show a reason it's not supposed to be. And now we have inge- reverse engineered a reason to get it approved to lower the speed limit that I don't think needed to be done in the first place. Granted, I don't live on Drexel, so I understand people there might have concerns with speed, might have concerns with their children on Drexel, but I think it's actually worse now. There is hardly any lighting. There are, well, now there are cones with reflectors around (laughs) the, the islands. Now, when you drive down that street, you're driving down what is essentially a narrow two-lane road Mm -hmm. with cars parked in between all the bump outs to make it narrow in there. Mm -hmm. There have been five or so crosswalks added, 
But for the life of me, I can't see if someone is waiting to go in the crosswalk because people are all there are always cars parked in front of them. Hmm. I love to see a crosswalk that's well lit. The one on Cassidy that is even with the school, parallel with the school. Yeah, I know the one. Is a nice visible crosswalk. They even added the little flags there. Mm -hmm. I'll stop for people at a crosswalk all day long. If they'd added, that's good. We recommend that for everyone listening to the podcast. I, but I'm just saying, I don't have a problem stopping, driving the speed limit, any of that. But I, I just don't think it was a problem to begin with. So I, I watch people fight about it on Facebook. I don't interact, and I recommend everyone else do the same. <laughs> <laughs> Limit your Facebook to looking at other people fighting and don't join in. No good comes from engaging on those no. social media posts. But I, but I do think it's another short-sighted thing that has been done in the city sticking with traffic at the end of my block broad and cassingham the light there they added in a five second delay from when it east westbound turns red mm-hmm. and north south turns green mm, okay. so that kids have more time to get across that's great. great they also added in a big sign that says no turns so mm. when it's school hours to school or from school hours mm-hmm. You are not allowed to make a turn there. That means if I need to make a left on Broad from Cassingham, I now go through what was previously a protected turn Hmm. where I'm aware of the situation in front of me. I now have to drive further up the street, make a right in an alley, go through an alley with an unprotected T in it, come out the other side of the alley, which has bushes and fence coming up to the edge. So now... I'm potentially endangering someone on a sidewalk, walking to school, make a right out of there, and then make a right on broad at a stop sign where there's no sign saying I can't turn. Hmm. We've taken away the protection of the light system and the crosswalk system to make it more dangerous. Hmm. And it's really frustrating to me that that we add that in. I don't understand how it can possibly be safer. Yeah, I hear a repeating theme in what you're saying, both with the new crosswalks on Drexel and what you're saying with Broad. It seems like we have a number of intersections where there's not good visibility to what's going on with people crossing. Right. And I I know on Livingston, uh, I often find myself crossing Livingston. I'm a South Bexley resident. I spend a fair amount of time going over to the JCC, which is in Berwick, just south of Bexley, and have to cross Livingston to get there. There is one crosswalk where you, like, tap the activator And then there's a little flashing signal that comes on to alert traffic that there's somebody who's going to be crossing. And that's handy because if they can't see you from a distance, then there's a visual indicator to them that there's someone who's looking to cross. But we don't have that many places. I think that's the only place we have that in the city. And because of our grand tree history and our commitment to being an Arboretum City, which is great, Mm -hmm. but it does mean we have more trees and more bushes and more greenery. And if we're not doing a good job of keeping that trimmed so that you can see everything, then unfortunately that can cause more risk. Right. I want pedestrians and children especially to be safe getting, getting around. I don't want people speeding up and down the streets. Sure. I just, I feel like we had a nice, wide, safe street and... If I lived on that street, I think I would hate those bump outs and the islands. And if I remember correctly from when people were first debating this, because it was a pretty hot button topic when it was first proposed. One of those like city council meetings where people were sort of lined up outside the room to speak about it. My recollection is that the businesses that were on Drexel were generally opposed because they were losing some of their parking space for this. Now it's changed a little bit. It's iterated. But there was concern that people would find it much harder to access those businesses. I don't know how it's played out. And I know the city has been slower than they originally planned in putting in the lighting that was supposed to come with the Drexel changes. So I'm not sure if that's completely done right now or if the city's still in the process of putting in more lighting. I will say that it has made me more likely to head to the Kroger and Whitehall than to go to the Little Eagle in Bexley. Giant Eagle, I'm sorry, but I, I always call it the Little Eagle. I just don't want to like confuse that. people and make them think that there's a business called the Little Eagle that I frequent. <laughs> you heard it here first. There's a new business called the Little Eagle. No, not really. <laughs> just Giant Eagle, which is great. I go to Giant Eagle frequently. Yeah, and I think it's interesting, too, because I know there's been a lot of discussion around bike 
lanes and bike safety and making Bexley more bike friendly. And I'm not a biker, so I'm not really sure how Drexel really plays into that. I can't imagine that it's super bike friendly with as narrow as the <laughs> lanes are now. But, you know, I think that's part of the part of the discussion as well. And I think the thing to point out here, like I know you said, Kerouac, you weren't aware of maybe the meetings ahead of that, but being aware of those types of community changes. And I know Stacy talks about the Trinity apartment mm-hmm. plans as well, but those are great opportunities for city engagement to get people to voice their concerns about things and to try to have some input and maybe perhaps influence the direction that the city goes on any given project in the future. So I think if there's something to call out um, with that, that that's to, to try to be aware of those opportunities and try to take advantage of those as well. Yeah. And hopefully the next time something like that comes up, we'll be talking about it. So if you're listening, you'll know about it in time for you to be able to get out and talk to your representatives and make sure that your voice is heard. You reminded me, Larry, because I am an avid cyclist. I cycled here today. I cycle all the time when the weather is even vaguely reasonable. There was a proposed version of that plan that had dedicated bike routes on the street, but that was going to cut into parking even further. And obviously, there is a, a balance to be struck. We don't want it to be more bike friendly at the cost of losing our businesses. So unfortunately, from my perspective as a cyclist, there wasn't a good way to square that circle and the more bike friendly versions of the plans didn't make it through to the final. That being said, I bike around Bexley all the time. There's a lot of other ways for me to bike without having to be on Drexel. So ultimately, I think we, we made a good decision balancing cyclists versus parking in that particular instance. You know, it's funny. Even if I'd gone to the meetings, I probably would have not considered myself a stakeholder, not mm-hmm. living on the street and not having a business impacted by it. Uh, I only found out I was a stakeholder when the changes hit, if that makes sense. I didn't <laughs> yeah. realize how much I used it. Right. And now I took that little shortcut for granted. Right. Well, and hopefully the city is continuing to take input on it and trying to come up with plans to remediate some of those issues. I know they're working on getting lighting around the islands. Hopefully they're maybe looking at different lighting on the street and different lighting and markings with the crosswalks i'm sure there's still work to be done on on that project and i'm not sure what that work to do yet is but hopefully they're continuing to listen and and taking input from community members on it absolutely and nothing that's done can't be changed in the future so even if we've decided to do things one way we try it out if it doesn't work we can make changes you know we're not locked into any of this so hopefully we will keep looking at that as we move forward all right all right, Kerouac, is there anything else you wanted to no, jump on? No, no, I'm, okay. I'm waiting for you, for you to go. Oh, well, <laughs> here we are then. So one thing, strangely, um, that I'm looking to talk about is marijuana, which is bizarre for me, two episodes in a row to be talking about marijuana. But here we are. Last time it was an election issue that we were all looking at. Now the election has passed, and it's soon to be a statute that we're looking at living under. And the reason that this has come up again today is because the zoning and planning group in Bexley has been asked by the mayor to give a recommendation on whether we should prohibit dispensaries, commercial growing, commercial manufacturing, whether those things could be permitted in Bexley, specifically to restrict those things. Now, that is something that the law allows. And even listening to them talking about it in zoning and planning, they were talking about the marijuana piece as a constitutional amendment. It was not a constitutional amendment. It was an initiated statute, which is just a, an uncommon way of creating a statute, which is just a fancy way of saying a law. So a law like any other, except it happened through the ballot box instead of going directly through the legislature. So all we're talking about is a law here. And the law makes space for communities to prohibit dispensaries and growing operations. So what the city's talking about is nothing that's illegal. It's nothing that violates constitutional right. It's completely something that the law contemplates because we recognize that communities have different values and things are going to be different fits in different places. Now, it's a bit odd because as of the time we're recording here and prior, or I should say following the time that zoning and planning has made this recommendation, the law hasn't gone into effect yet. It goes into effect early December, but after now, and it may be changed by the legislature then or at a future point. So we don't know what it's going to look like yet. It's not an existing law. It's a little weird to make a recommendation on what we're going to do under a law that doesn't yet exist. But here we are. And during that conversation, 
and maybe I should say going into it, people are all over the place on where they fall on marijuana. Myself, I see it as less impactful than alcohol or tobacco, which are already legal. And I don't think there's any sense in criminalizing people for something that doesn't have a meaningful public safety risk or significant health impact. I myself am not a marijuana user. I have never in my life, which probably sets me apart from the vast majority of people. And I don't plan to change that now that it's legal. That being said, other people can make other choices. That's part of what makes our community great and our society great. We allow people space to live in different ways. And looking at this prohibition, we just took a vote on this and the community relatively overwhelmingly adopted this. You might say, well, it was in the mid-50s for the statewide vote, which isn't exactly overwhelming, which is true. But one of the things during this meeting, the mayor was chatting with the people on the zoning and planning committee, and they said, well, how did Bexley fall? So what was the Bexley vote? And the mayor indicated that he didn't know, he wasn't really paying that much attention to issue two, and that he didn't want us to be the guinea pig for retail sales in Ohio, regardless of how the electorate passes the issue. Those are his exact words. And he agreed that he would take a look at those numbers and bring it back to the committee later. But he asked them to vote on it without knowing that. I took about five minutes to actually look this up from the Franklin County Board of Elections and run the numbers myself because I had to pull the precinct level data. And Bexley was 74% in favor of issue two. So much more strongly than than the state at large. And the idea that we're going to take something where three out of four people are like, yes, we want this, we want this change, and that we're going to immediately prohibit it without even bothering to look at where the vote is or caring about that, that's really frustrating to me. You know, you can look at different things, say, is this good? Is it bad? Is it ugly? I would say this is ugly because we have the information right there. It's very easy to look at. Like I said, it took me about five minutes to pull that information and figure out the numbers from it. But without doing any of that, the city already put together an ordinance prohibiting this, already took it to a committee, asking them to make a recommendation to city council without bothering to look at any of this information. And when the committee asked for that information, the mayor still asked them to take a vote without knowing it. So this is just not how I think governance should be done. Like if you're going to have community votes on things, you should be paying attention to it. And that doesn't seem to be what's happening here. So I find that very frustrating And this is going to be taken up by city council in January. So folks that may be listening, if this is an issue that particularly speaks to you and you have a strong feeling one way or another, this is something that you want to talk to your representatives about in January or preceding January. And January is when our new representatives will take their seats. So we will have a couple new people on city council. We will have uh, Representative Hurley and Representative Silverman in two of those seats as well. So something to keep on your mind. Again, it's that opportunity for community engagement and I think it is really important and I and it politics is really interesting to me in that um, lately it seems like there's usually a minority I'm not saying Ben is necessarily a minority in terms of this particular discussion but there seems to be a minority rule of people in in the state of Ohio in the state of Ohio for example that <laughs> seem to know better than the majority of the people's feelings and i think about abortion now abortion yeah. is a completely different way that that ran in terms of the marijuana Absolutely. bill that went through but you know here you have again here you have elected republican officials in the state of Ohio that wanted to have this issue one way but clearly Clearly, the majority of Ohioans think about it another way, and that's what I see in the same issue with marijuana. If Bexley overwhelmingly approved the marijuana ballot initiative, then I think that makes a strong case for not having restrictions on it within the city of Bexley, even though that would be legal according to the way that the initiative was written. Yeah, absolutely. No one's suggesting that anyone is breaking the law here. We're all trying to be pretty careful to follow the law. And this will be an interesting conversation as it goes forward. You know, you, you point out the, the minority rule in the state, how it impacts the state. I, I feel like I've always been told or felt that we were an example of the opposite of that, of, of not falling to that, finding out what the community wants and going with it. This feels short-sighted again. You, you said that uh, Ben doesn't want to be a guinea pig for one of the most booming industries in the country <laughs> and the states that have passed this sort of thing. We've got 
examples across the country of the industry working and being profitable, being sure. uh, being a good neighbor, regulated, regulated, and instead of instead of saying we could be at the forefront of this, we could bring in this cash cow and work with it. We're saying no, no, no. We do not want that, and mm-hmm. it, that that I don't understand that at all. Yeah, I mean, let's just let's just leave all of that tax revenue off the table for and for what reason? Let just, it go up in smoke. Yeah, it, <laughs> for something that's totally legal. Why? I mean, what what is the reason for that? Right. And again, we we have no problem at all allowing something more deadly, more dangerous in alcohol all over Bexley. And at many of our public <clears throat> events now, yeah, with the designated outdoor refreshment areas that came out of the COVID area, and now we have a lot of events like uh, Porch Fest and many others that involve alcohol as a, a standard component. Mm-hmm. Right. Yep. I don't know that we have any breweries in ta- like in the city limits. That's the one thing. Uh, I know we've had some Bexley residents that that operated breweries or owned them, and but they were on the outskirts. I believe there was one uh, over by the airport at one point that had a that had a Bexley investment connection to it. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's gone now, but it, it was there for a while. But do we have a restriction mm-hmm. against having something like that in Bexley? Like that's that's where the equivalent would be here, right? So right, but even that with, would be interesting to find out. But and, already, even with the medical marijuana. We have dispensaries all around the outskirts mm-hmm. because there are people here that that want it. Putting it in, it's like not having CVS. It's like not allowing CVS in your. That's in your exactly city. how I look at it because I think we already allow drug distribution in the city, and that is through CVS. And I, most of my prescriptions, when I need something, go through CVS because it's convenient. It's right there. It makes it easy for me to get the medications I need for myself and my children. And then to say, yes, but this drug, we feel a particular way about this drug. So we're going to prohibit right. this legal drug from being sold in the community. It just rubs me the wrong way. Same. All right. And then I, maybe I'll put in a quick hit on uh, changes in our police department as one other thing that's happened this year. Right. So we've had our new police chief now for a little over a year, and he has been very busy in that time. So there's a coalition of groups, some of which are represented here on this podcast and some of which are not who have been working with the police department to help guide those changes and make sure that community concerns have been considered and addressed where they can be. And the police department has really acted in a way, I want to say completely different than our last version of the police department, but maybe that's a little bit too sweeping, but very, very different than our last police chief and our last police department. One thing about our last chief and how the police department was acting under him, it was very rare to see them at community events or see them at an out where different people in the community would be out doing things. And that was one of the big complaints at the time. With our current police chief, Gary Lewis, they've really made an effort to be out there at community events. Larry already mentioned one that the police department organized, which was really well attended and really good, I have to say, because I was one of the people there. But they've been at many, many of the other events as well. So they've had a very active presence, talking to people, letting people know they're there, sort of what their role is, if they're needed. Um, and they just have been much more engaged in community than the prior version of the police department. And I think we really can give Gary the credit for that because he's really been pushing that and creating a spirit, an idea within the police department that this is part of what they do. So that's been huge. Also, there have been a lot of concerns about traffic stops and who's getting stopped and how and what the racial breakdown of that is. And I'm not here to say that that problem has necessarily been fixed or that it's perfect. But what I can say is that the data is looking better. The city put out a report, Brer put out a report a year or two after that. In both of those, there were larger proportions of people of color that were stopped compared to white drivers. And looking at where the numbers are now, the numbers are essentially even between black drivers and white drivers. And that's the first time I've seen that in years in Bexley since I've been here. So that's a change that I think he deserves some credit for. And he's definitely been moving around how people are working and where they're working to help make that happen. So he has really been involved, and all the officers that are part of the Bexley Police Department have been part of this change as well. So I want to give credit where credit's due and let people know about that awesome set of changes that's been happening. One other piece that people have brought up was engagement between the police and youth of color in particular. 
And the city has been working on a policy for quite a while right now that's in the process of being implemented to have the police work differently when they're dealing with youth than when they're not dealing with youth. Now, we're not the first one to do that, but we're essentially the first community I know of in Ohio that hasn't suffered a tragedy related to youth to implement a policy like that. So I'm glad that we're being proactive in that space and compliments not just to Chief Gary Lewis, but also to Ben Kessler, who started that, because this began even before Gary Lewis came in. So Ben was really on top of that. He heard that problem, and he put sort of experts together from around the greater Columbus area, as well as Bexley itself. So shout out to all of them. Digging through the numbers, did you find that there were fewer stops overall? So stop numbers were a little bit hard to say because when we were running the numbers, we only had part of the yearly data. Okay. So it looked like it might be a little bit down, then it looked like it might be about the same. So I think it's a little bit too early to say where the overall numbers are, but not hugely down from where they were before. Just the distribution of who was stopped seems to have changed. Anecdotally, it feels like I see fewer stops now, but my driving patterns have changed, and that could also have... (laughs) You're not on Drexel I'm not on Drexel, right. (laughs) But I will mention, I've been here 18 years and have never been stopped once, so... Because you're an excellent driver. Exactly. That's what I hear. Yeah, and I would add that um, I think a lot of that isn't necessarily due to any changes in terms of how they stop, but it's been more about administrative oversight within the police department. And Mm -hmm. so now, you know, stop data is being reviewed at at the officer level and supervisors are doing ride-alongs and looking at those looking at that data. And so I think that has implemented a level of accountability within the police department that we simply just didn't have prior to Chief Lewis coming on board. Yeah, absolutely. Good. Stacy, we're talking about stuff that's been going on in Bexley and around Bexley. So what's on your mind? Well, there are a couple of things that I've kind of kept on my radar. One Mm -hmm. is actually, it's a little bit older than a year, just a little bit older. Okay. And it is a resolution that Troy Markham and Jen Robinson author or co-authored, uh, mm-hmm. Resolution 1222. It is um, committing to combat anti-Semitism in the city, which happened before everything that, that's gone on overseas since October. Right. Um, this happened, you know, before then, because there was a, a bump in anti-Semitism that was kind of sweeping the nation. And um, Troy had reached out to me and we had had a few discussions about it and he wanted to do something about it. He just wasn't quite sure what. And then we were out of touch for a few days. And then not too long after that, he came back and said, I've got it. I've got it. He said, Mm -hmm. resolution 1222, which I've looped Jen Robinson into and we are co-authoring together. And I would love your um, opinion on it. And I mean, of course, I'm going to say, you know, yeah, I'm here for it. Um, And I know a resolution is not legislation. And I know resolution is more of a statement. Mm -hmm. But it means something when your local government makes a statement, a bold statement, stating that anti-Semitism and anti-Semitic behavior is not welcome in our borders. Yeah, it's a statement of solidarity. Yes. We didn't know where things were going to go after that. And here we are, unfortunately, because of that. And as you said, preceding this and now increasing, Mm -hmm. anti-Semitism has been a growing problem and continues to be so. And while we cannot solve anti-Semitism in the world, It is nice to know that we are on the forefront of letting everyone know where we stand and showing solidarity as a community. Absolutely. And, you know, after the resolution was passed, other localities followed suit. And it was a good thing to find out that other people not only are paying attention to what we're doing in our city, but to know that we're we're being proactive and that we're being leaders in topics that others may not know how to to tackle. Yeah, and I think one thing we often talk about frequently in Bexley is where we have this opportunity to be leaders in various spaces so that other communities can 
take from us, that we can provide things that are useful and be models in different areas. And this is one of the areas where that's actually happened. So, I mean, that really is worth noting because that's a hard thing to do. Um, it's hard to get everyone on the same page. And that's really something that's happened here. Yeah. And it was a 7-0 passing. I mean, there was no right. against. It was <laughs> no one know, was for an, for anti-Semitism. <laughs> well, for com not combating it. Right. So, you know, um, but I think one of the things it, he was quoted as saying in um, an interview was that silence is complicity. Mm. And it's always resonated with me because as of, you know, where we are today, like fast forward 12, 13 months to today. Mm -hmm. Um, you know, there is this outpouring and outcry of that same sentiment um, in terms of anti-Semitism, you know, not knowing however many months ago, the spike in anti-Semitism has risen over over 400%, according to the ADL. So um, it's just, I think one of the things that really struck home with me the most about it was the fact that not that you have to be Jewish. You know, we say you don't have to be Jewish. You just have to be human. And mm -hmm. Troy was being human and um, unafraid to speak up and speak out and do something about it. And um, so, I mean, that has been on my radar and it's something that I've definitely been very grateful for. Uh, so I think that's a fantastic call out. And I'm going to go a little bit sort of off our normal script for a minute because you just reminded me there, there's a poem that I love that when you say about speaking out in this kind of uh, situation that was written after the Holocaust by a Lutheran pastor said, first they came for the socialist and I did not speak out because I was not a socialist. Then they came for the trade unionist and I did not speak out because I was not a trade unionist. Then they came for the Jews and I did not speak out because I was not a Jew. Then they came for me and there was no one left to speak out. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Uh, I've always loved that. And I think this falls into that category of being proactive and letting people know where we stand as a community. Absolutely. And I mean, if you look at a lot of those uh, marches and rallies and people who are out there protesting some type of injustice, whether it's racial or social or, um, you know, what have you, a lot mm -hmm. of the people standing next to you are Jews. Yeah. And, you know, we, we go out there, we put ourselves out there for a lot of other people. And it was really nice and comforting to have other people come and do the same for us. Absolutely. All right. Well, that's a fantastic first choice for what's going on. Thanks. So what else do you want to bring up that we haven't gotten into or haven't gotten into deeply enough? The other thing that I'm really starting to pay attention to more is the Main Street Project, which mm. I believe is a, a matter that a lot of people are paying attention to right now. Absolutely. And, you know, I think in the in the inception, in the beginning stages, we were all trying to plant seeds of wouldn't it be wonderful to have affordable housing over there? And then, you know, of course, whoever bids on it is the one who gets to decide the type of housing that goes there. And there's not a lot of community feedback and buy-in. Right. And um, if I can just toss in one little piece there, and I apologize, I feel like I'm interrupting you. But you said the person who buys it gets to decide. And that's because right now we have a voluntary inclusionary zoning policy, which means a developer can say, yes, I'm going to include an affordable housing component, and then the city will provide a tax abatement. Now, we could have passed a mandatory inclusionary zoning policy that would have required developments like this to have uh, an affordable component. But that's not the way we have addressed this currently. And I think that that's a very key point and very necessary in the conversation at some point, it would behoove us to loop that in. People make fun of me because sometimes I have a very strong attachment to history. And <laughs> I look back at history for evidence and support of certain things. Mm -hmm. And historically, Main Street has held affordable housing. And they've been mm. apartment units. Driving up and down that street at the moment, none of those buildings remain. Yeah. Um, There's been a lot of change the, over time. A lot of change, which is, you know, evolution. And it's um, normal sure. for our it's sustainability. Progress. Absolutely. Absolutely. It, well, evolution. <laughs> okay. Um, but we, 
And it's not that the affordable housing projects that were proposed on Livingston and Cassidy uh, are terrible, but yeah. looking at the location of the Livingston spot versus the spot on Main Street where there's walkability to grocery stores, there's walkability to local schools, uh, mm -hmm. there is walkability to all of the shops and restaurants that we have, to ice cream places, to parks, and yeah. easy access to public transportation. In All terms true. of location, it's perfect. Mm -hmm. But it's something that we seem to keep eliminating from that streetscape. Mm. As much as I want to see affordable housing throughout the entire city, that was my one gripe about the Livingston location. And to an extent, Cassidy. Cassidy is still is very difficult to access public transportation. Mm. You walk from Cassidy, you have to go south, almost from Del Mar all the way down to Broad Street to find a bus route. Whereas on Main Street, there are quite a few very convenient right. buses. Right on Main. Yeah. Absolutely. All that to say, I think this project, it's, you know, it has been a, approved to start. They're still going through the process, but it, there's been this, this bid has been accepted. And now it's just a matter of hashing out the details in order to get this constructed, to get mm -hmm. the old buildings demolished and then the project started, construction started. I think it's a missed opportunity for us to continue to put less affordable housing on these city streets where it could really benefit mixed income use. And also, it would allow people of varied incomes to assimilate in a way without it being this big neon sign pointing to, you know, here sits an affordable housing structure. Right. Um, I think, you know, if you want to talk about integration, if you want to talk about welcoming and you want to talk about assimilation, you do it in a way where you're driving down the street and don't even know that that's what it is. Right. And you know, people are living with everyone else. Yes. And to riff off your statement about loving history and learning from our history, I remember when we were going into this project and we chatted with the mayor and he had indicated, and I can't remember if it was with us or in one of the other media outlets he spoke with, that in the history of Main Street development, nobody has turned down a tax abatement for something like this. Now that happened this time, they did turn down that tax abatement. Yeah. It's understandable that somebody would enact a policy based on historical precedent and what the expectations are from that, but the landscape is shifting. And with it, we will have to shift as well. And hopefully we'll be able to shift these policies in the future so that opportunities like this aren't missed. Agreed. And But the TIF, whereas a tax abatement, you know, and just, I don't want to get too far into the weeds, but the difference between the tax abatement and a TIF. Um, tax abatement is money back to the developer and a TIF is fund for the developer. Mm -hmm. um, but it doesn't necessarily lessen the costs of the developer. So it permits construction of the public infrastructure necessary for the development. Right. In the projects, the, the TIF, for those who may not remember from the prior episode, is basically to support the garage components of this development under the idea that the garage development will be open to the public and will expand parking availability in that area. Yes, um, I, I personally free. am very skeptical of that, just given the small size of the parking lot relative to the number of residential tenants and the type of commercial tenants that will be there. I've made public comments to that. You know, BZAP is aware of those concerns and will do with it as they see fit. But that that's what the TIF is. It's to support the parking structure to make it a public good with the idea that other folks will be able to use it, visiting City Hall or the other shops in that area. The one thing I'm still confused about, though, is that is that in addition to a separate parking lot for the units themselves? So yes and no. Now we are getting into the weeds, but I do love the weeds. Me too. So there is a conventional parking structure. Think like a parking garage that is multi-story, that is part of the complex, that will serve residents, um, both the residential and the commercial tenants who are there. 
But there is also a surface lot behind the property, well, on the property, but behind the development part of the property that will have another 40 or so more spots that will be open that will also serve the residents. So the, there are different aspects of parking that go into this. Plus, there's a handful of street parking spots on Main Street in front of the development as well. There are, but, you know, they're usually utilized by those going to the local businesses during yeah. the day. And there will be local businesses there because this is a mixed development, commercial and residential. Which will already cause some type of over congestion and more, you know, side parking onto Sheridan. And unless they are planning on keeping the overflow parking lot still available across the street. Well, that has a different owner. So like yes. right now that is there, that's owned by the owner of the Gateway Plaza. So as far as I know, there is no nothing currently in development to change that. But there have been talks for years off and on about development over there. So who knows what the future holds for it? Right. No, that's a good point. Um, but I guess, you know, in, in this respect, what one of the things that I, and, you know, again, this is kind of showing my, um, my love of traditional architecture and um, the charm that we have on on Main Street. Um, and I know to some people, you know, aesthetic is, is subjective. Beauty is subjective. Of course. Um, but, um, you know, one of the things that I've noticed is that if you're driving into uh, New Dublin, let's say, or New Upper Arlington, you know, down Lane Avenue or the more quote unquote developed parts, um, the the building itself kind of looks very familiar to one of those box-like structures that you would see over there. Mm -hmm. um, and I remember thinking to myself the last time I was at Bridge Park in Dublin, I love visiting here, but I wouldn't want to live there. Mm. Um, and I'm wondering, you know, is one of the questions that has popped up is, you know, attachment to the school creating all of these units, how many will be families looking for a place for their children to go? Will it start overcrowding the schools? You know, just all the the normal questions that happen with multi-people living. With the other needs in the community and expectations is an ongoing process. And it's going to take a while and it's probably going to see some more revision before we get to a, a complete final version where we know exactly what that's going to look like. But yeah. I think and, these and conversations are important. They are, and we need to keep having them in open formats, um, in an honest way. With, Absolutely. Uh, you know, they're they're a very important part of this process. All right. Well, I want to thank everyone who has taken the time to speak with us today: Larry Dally Ellison, Kerouac Smith, Stacy Grossman, and of course myself, Spencer Cahoon. And thank you, everyone who has tuned in in the Bexley community. We appreciate you, and it is because of you that we are here, able to share this. If you like what we're doing and you see one of us, let us know. If there's something you want to hear about that we haven't talked about, let us know as well. Because it's a big community. We like to be involved, but we can only know so much at any one time. If there's something we're not highlighting, bring it to our attention, and we'll try to make that change in the future. Also, thank you so much for the Bexley Public Library for hosting our recording session. Remember, you can listen to us anywhere you get your fine podcasts, Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Amazon Music, basically wherever you like, we're there. And the name of the podcast is Kerouac. Unpacking Bexley. We'll see you next time. <laughs>